Numbers chapter 13. We'll read verses 5 and 6 together. So let's read together, shall we? Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? We love you, Lord. We thank you for your word. I pray now that this word will speak to us clearly. I pray that it will challenge our hearts. I pray that you will give us ears to hear what the Spirit will say in the midst of the preaching today. I lift up other life-giving churches to you, and I pray blessing upon them. I pray for our loved ones not yet walking in right relationship with you, that you draw them to a place of repentance. Don't let one of them be lost, Lord. I thank you for that. I pray it in the only name that matters, the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. I don't know about you, but at midnight on December 31st, I'll be glad to kick old man 2020 out the door and welcome baby 2021 with open arms. Wouldn't it be nice if turning the page on the calendar also meant closing the book on all the craziness we've had this past year? You and I both know, however, that reality doesn't work that way. When 2021 arrives, you'll still have to deal with some of the same stuff you've wrestled with this year. There will still be racial tensions and political discord. The coronavirus that got labeled in 2019 is still going to be causing problems in 2021. Vaccine or no vaccine, mask wearing, physical distancing, travel restrictions, even shutdowns are still going to have to be dealt with in the coming year. There's going to continue to be job insecurity and difficulties paying rent and buying food. This coming year will include natural storms like hurricanes and tornadoes and floods and fires. It will include personal storms like heartbreak and divorce and loss of employment and disease and death of a loved one. Now, aren't you encouraged? Turning the page on the calendar into the new year is almost like walking toward a light at the end of the tunnel. You don't know if that light signals the way out or if it's the headlight of the oncoming train that's going to run you over. I don't know exactly the name of the specific storm you're going to face in this coming year, but I do know there's going to be a storm in your life. And when people hear that, the most common reaction is panic, fear. There's a lot of fear in our world right now. Have you noticed that? People are isolated in their homes, afraid to have contact with anyone because of fear. Businesses are being shut down because of fear. 
Conspiracy theories are raging like wildfire because of fear. As soon as some products are stocked on the grocery shelves, they're snapped up by people hoarding, and there's a shortage of basic goods because of fear. Today finds us living in the world that Jesus described in Luke 21 and 26 when he talked about men fainting from fear and the expectation of the things which are coming upon the world. Well, I came to this pulpit today to tell you that I don't know what is going to happen in 2021, but I have a word from the Lord for you regardless of what happens. This is not a new word. But this word can become for you a fresh revelation in the midst of an uncertain time. No matter what the future holds, the Lord would say to you today, do not fear. This was the word the Lord gave to Abraham, leaving his homeland for a land of promise. No fear. This was the word... He gave to Joseph, sold into slavery by his brothers. No fear. This was the word he gave to Moses, trapped at the Red Sea. No fear. This was the word he gave to Joshua, crossing the Jordan into Canaan. No fear. This was the word he gave to David, facing the giant Goliath. No fear. This was the word he gave to Daniel, entering the lion's den. No fear. This was the word he gave to three Hebrew boys thrown into the fiery furnace. No fear. This was the word he gave to the Virgin Mary confronted by the angel with a message that would completely disrupt her world. No fear. This was the word he gave to the disciples tossed about on a stormy sea. No fear. This was the word he gave to the Apostle Paul singing at midnight in the dungeon. No fear. This was the word he gave the Apostle John, caught up in the Spirit on the Lord's Day on the Isle of Patmos. No fear. And this is the same word he speaks to your life as you prepare to enter a new year. No matter what adversity comes, no matter what hardship you face, no matter what the disappointment, no matter what the trial, no matter what the uncertainty, no matter what the threat, no fear. In the verses we read at the beginning of this message, the writer to the Hebrews gives, gives us several things to remember that will make it possible to walk into the coming year with no fear. First of all, he talks about the contentment of his provision. In verse 5, he writes, make sure that your character is free from the love of money. Watch this. Being content with what you have. Hmm. You know, too often people get luxuries and necessities confused. They get all mixed up and want things they don't need and need things they don't want. Contentment. Contentment is a resting or satisfaction of mind without disquiet. Contentment is internal satisfaction that does not demand changes in external circumstances. Contentment goes beyond mere satisfaction and refers to the condition of the person who is dependent upon the Holy Spirit and thereby independent of outward circumstances. Contentment is more a matter of your perspective 
than it is of your circumstances. The quality of contentment is absolutely opposite of the attitude that is so dominant in the modern world. You know, all advertising, whether on TV or billboards or catalogs or pop-up ads on the internet, all of it is designed to make you think, I need this product to be happy. A PBS television program stated that the average American sees over a million commercials by age 20. I don't know just where they came up with that number, but if it's accurate and you begin at birth, it averages out to something like 137 commercials per day. Even a fraction of that many commercials has got to affect you. So you have to fight the influence of the world or its swift current will sweep you downstream. See, contentment doesn't grow without cultivation and maintenance. To cultivate contentment, you have to guard your thought life and constantly work at developing a biblical view of life, of material possessions, and a biblical view of eternity. You have to avoid comparing yourself with others, recognizing that God is sovereign and that He has different purposes for different people. Now, you know, I don't have a particular axe to grind about social media. But, but one of the things I've noticed about this particular phenomenon is that it very easily leads to comparison. You know, when I'm on Facebook or Instagram, most of what I see isn't the full picture. You know, I'm only getting the edited version. I'm only getting the sanitized version that somebody wants me to see. As a pastor... I have to be particularly careful about looking at social media on Sunday afternoon when things haven't gone particularly well in our services. <clears throat> you know, if our attendance was down or if things just kind of rocked along without being particularly enthusiastic, if, if my sermon didn't meet expectations, if, if the response wasn't what I hoped it would be, and then that afternoon, I look at Facebook and see where some church had 50 people saved and another baptized 100 and somebody else broke an attendance record and another had the biggest special day ever in the history of their church and another had record ties and on and on and on the glowing reports go. There's a part of me that rejoices over the great things that is happening to build the kingdom of God. <laughs> but there's another part of me that starts to compare what I experienced that day with what they experienced, and I find myself becoming envious and covetous and discontent. And the enemy of my soul can use all of those glowing reports to just beat me up about all my shortcomings and all my failures. The, the command in the text says to be free from the love of money. That's really a command to be free from materialism or covetousness. Instead, be content. And the reason this is so critical is because material things will never satisfy. You didn't hear that, so I'm going to say it again. Material things will never satisfy. God has designed a place in your inner being that can only be satisfied by His living presence. 
And if you focus on temporary things to satisfy your appetite and your desires, it will never give you satisfaction. That's what it means in Ecclesiastes 5 and 10 when the wise preacher says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. This too is vanity. See, God has placed an appetite for eternity in your heart. Whether you realize it or not, you have an inner hunger for heaven. And contentment isn't just, <clears throat> isn't just accepting your lot in life and being resigned to whatever it throws at you. It's also realizing there's a lot more prepared for you than temporary things. If you're going to cultivate this contentment, you're going to have to begin in the right place, and that place is Jesus. Now, I've told you about this illustration before, but some of you haven't seen it and some of you have forgotten, so let me just talk to you about it again. I, I keep right here on the, on the pulpit a glass of water because I never know when the sermon's really going to be dry. <clears throat> and my wife is always so gracious and kind. First thing in the morning, she walks in the building and the first thing she does is she goes and she gets a bottle of water, brings it up here, and she pours water into my glass. Aw, yeah, isn't it? Now, I want you to understand, to most people, when they see that glass sitting up here before she gets here, it's an empty glass. But it really isn't empty. It's filled with air. Well, air and water are two entirely different elements, and it's impossible to have a vessel filled with air and water at the same time. So the moment she walks up here with that bottle of water and starts pouring water into this glass, what does it do? It begins to push the air out. The air is displaced in order for the glass to then be filled with water. Well, I want to tell you in the same way, if your life is given over to the pursuit of material things, you can't then be filled with Jesus. You just let that sink in for a moment. That's a Selah moment, okay? Just think about that. Until that love for material things is displaced, your life cannot and will not be filled with Jesus. Anytime you give yourself to the pursuit of all that is involved in this world and you make its position and its material things your goal and your standard and the center of your life, you will not find the satisfaction that comes from making Jesus the center of your life. To be content is the opposite of to be covetous, to be greedy, to be worldly, to be materialistic. The reason material things can never make you content is because you can never get enough of them to satisfy. You know, one of the reasons people approach the new year with such fear is because they're afraid they're not going to have enough. Enough money, enough time, enough influence, enough fun, enough love, enough companionship, enough joy, enough peace, enough courage, enough help. And this is where the Word of God speaks with a bold proclamation and says, no fear. You need not fear that you won't have enough. You can be content because when you have Jesus, He is more than enough. Well, there's not only the contentment of his provision, but the text says that the way you can live with no fear is because of the companionship of his presence. 
Verse 5 says to be content with what you have, and here it is, for he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. The companionship of his presence. Now, I may not know all that I will have to face in this coming year, but this one thing I do know, I will never have to face it alone. We just came through the Advent season in which we talked about Emmanuel, God with us. And I want you to know that just because Christmas is over doesn't mean Jesus is gone. The presence may be gone, but his presence is still with us. Now, I love this. Those who are Greek scholars tell us that this sentence that is translated, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you, actually has five negatives in it. Now, we say a double negative is bad in English, but evidently it isn't bad Greek. (laughs) In English, there is a grammatical rule that says that two negatives in a sentence turn the sentence into a positive statement. But in the Greek language, the more negatives there are in a sentence, the more emphatic that negative statement is. In the text, the writer just piles one negative on top of another. And here's how that sentence literally reads. I will never, no, not ever, no, never leave you nor forsake you. As you step over into this new year, you can do so with confidence and courage. No fear because of the companionship of his presence. You will not face the new year alone because of Psalm 27 and 10. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me up. You won't face the new year alone because of Proverbs 18 and 24. There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You won't face the new year alone because of Genesis 28 and 15. I will not leave you until I have done all I have promised you. You will, you will not face the new year alone because of Exodus 33 and 14. My presence shall go with you and I will give you rest. You won't face the new year alone because of Isaiah 43 and 2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. You won't face the new year alone because of Matthew 28 and 20. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You know, Noah was in the flood, but the Lord was with him. Joseph was in the pit, but the Lord was with him. Moses was in the desert, but the Lord was with him. Joshua was fighting the resistance, but the Lord was with him. David was hiding in the cave, but the Lord was with him. Jeremiah was in a dried up well, but the Lord was with him. Daniel was in the lion's den, but the Lord was with him. Three Hebrew boys were in the fiery furnace, but the Lord was with them. Jonah was in the belly of the great fish, but the Lord was with him. Ezekiel was in the valley of dry bones, but the Lord was with him. Peter was in prison, but the Lord was with him. Paul was shipwrecked on the island of Malta, but the Lord was with him. John was exiled on the Isle of Patmos, but the Lord was with him. I'm telling you, there is no place you will go this year that you will ever be 
alone because the Lord is with you. In the schoolroom, the Lord is with you. In the boardroom, the Lord is with you. In the family room, the Lord is with you. In the sick room, the Lord is with you. When you're happy, the Lord is with you. When you're sad, the Lord is with you. When you're healthy, the Lord is with you. And when you're sick, the Lord is with you. When you're prosperous, the Lord is with you. And when you're needy, the Lord is with you. When you're successful, the Lord is with you. And when you're defeated, the Lord is with you. You can't hide from him. You can't outsmart him. You can't lose him. You can't shake him. You can't outrun him. You can't accidentally leave him. The Lord is with you. Fear not. The companionship of his presence, the Lord is with you. Well, there's a third reason you can stride with no fear into this new year. It's because of the confidence of his promise. I don't know if you paid attention to it each time I've read or quoted it, but I want to highlight four words out of verse 5. It says, make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have for, now here it is, watch this, he himself has said... I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. The confidence of his promise. He himself has said. You know, you know, if I were to tell you, I will never desert you or forsake you, well, it may be true and it may not be true. But he himself has said. This isn't some politician trying to garner votes. This isn't some marketing mogul looking to score sales. This isn't some unscrupulous huckster unable to deliver on outrageous claims. This is the word of the Lord of glory. This is the word of the eternal God of the universe. This is the word of the one in whom there is not even a hint of shifting shadow. This is the word of the first cause of all that exists. This is the word of the omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient one who stands apart from and rules over time, space, and matter. Numbers 23 and 19 proclaims, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 20 promises, for as many as are the promises of God, in him they are yes. Therefore also through him is our amen to the glory of God through us. When, see, see, when you say, God, I just don't have enough strength for next year. The omnipotent God says, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. When you say, God, I'm afraid of what I will have to go through next year. The omnipresent God says, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. When you say, God, I won't know what to do. The omniscient God says, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. No fear, because the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present God will never desert you, nor will he ever forsake you. Never, 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 never. Somebody ought to be happy about that. And finally, I want you to see that you can step into the new year with no fear, 
because of the comfort of his protection. He himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you, so that, watch this, so that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? I can, I can absolutely guarantee you that you're going to face some things in the coming year that are going to be unpleasant. It's called living. I, I didn't get that by divine revelation, okay? I, just, I got that by 65 years of life, okay? Well, when you look at at the people to whom this letter to the Hebrews was written, you find that they faced some heartaches and some trials. They faced opposition not just from foes, but from family and friends as well. They faced mockery and persecution and brutality and robbery. And I can promise you that some of you are going to face some of the same kinds of things. This year is going to have opportunity, and it's going to have opposition. It's going to have wins, and it's going to have losses. It's going to have testimony, and it's going to have tests. It's going to have miracles, and it's going to have messes. And through it all, you're going to be able to face each day with this confidence. The Lord is my helper. No fear. It's the comfort of his protection. The Lord is your helper. No matter what you face, the Lord is your helper. No fear. No fear. Your protection is Exodus 14 and 14. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Your protection is Deuteronomy 28 and 7. The Lord shall cause your enemies who rise up against you to be defeated before you. They will come out against you one way and will flee before you seven ways. <laughs> your protection is Psalm 3 and 3. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the one who lifts my head. Your protection is Psalm 23 and 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Your protection is Psalm 34 and 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Your protection is Psalm 91 and 4. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and bulwark. Your protection is Isaiah 25 and 4. For you have been a defense for the helpless, a defense for the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storm, a shade from the heat. Your protection is Isaiah 54 and 17. No weapon that is formed against you will prosper, and every tongue that accuses you in judgment you will condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication is from me, declares the Lord. Your protection is Zechariah 2 and 5. For I, declares the Lord, will be a wall of fire around her, and I will be the glory in her midst. 
This is your protection. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Go ahead, take your best shot. The Lord is my helper. And if we live, we are the Lord's. And if we die, we are still the Lord's. Death does not have the final word in this world. God does. I've read that Robert Louis Stevenson was the first to tell this story. Seems that a storm had caught a seafaring vessel off a rocky coast. In the midst of the terror, one daring passenger, going against orders, made his way across the deck of the ship. Groping along a passageway, he came to the pilot house. And there he beheld an intriguing sight. The ship's pilot was lashed to his post. Secure against the raging elements, he held the wheel fast, turning the ship inch by inch once more out to sea. Hearing a noise, the, the pilot looked over, saw the watcher, and smiled. The daring passenger found his way below deck where the other passengers were huddled. He came to them. And he said with an encouragement in his voice, I have seen the face of the pilot. And he smiled. All is well. There are times you need to hear that. Especially when you feel tossed about by a raging storm, it helps to look up and see that pilot Jesus is smiling. Everything is going to be okay. I said everything is going to be okay. Let's pray.